Hello, everyone, and welcome to History in the Spotlight, a podcast where we discuss musicals that are based on historical events or that have historical significance. My name is Annika Lutain. And I am Maxwell Cowan. And we are friends who met in high school that had a massive musical theater program, which we both participated in. We're basically the scary theater kids that you tried to avoid in the hallways who are always bursting into song and singing show tunes, high school musical style. But we're not actually that scary. No, we're not that scary. After graduation, Annika went to, study, went to school to study history, and I'm pursuing my love of acting and want to become a theater major. Right now, our goals are put on hold because of the coronavirus pandemics, so we thought that we might as well get together over Zoom and chat about musicals. This is our first podcast ever, uh, first podcast episode, so we are still learning the ropes, including in the learning of... <laughs> of the ropes is trying to find good microphones, which unfortunately I have not yet found. So I apologize for the sound quality in this episode, as I guess my microphone headset was too close to my face and picked up every little moment of air that came from my nose and mouth. I'm working on finding a solution so that the next episode will have a greatly improved sound quality. Without further ado, here's our first episode where we discuss musical Anastasia. Anika, how are you? Um, as, as well as you can expect, it is December 5th, 2020. Um, what are we in like month nine or 10 of the quarantine now? Mm -hmm. Um, getting to the point where you have to take some of those vitamin D supplements so that (laughs) you're not dealing with seasonal depression as well as your regular everyday depression. How about you, Max? How are you? I'm good. Yeah, I'm getting through it. I'm working. I'm just working for for now and doing dance classes and singing. And what kind of dance classes are you doing? Tap classes and ballet. I was meaning to ask you: Is yeah. tap hard? It's definitely a learning curve. It it I I enjoy it because it's a lot of like like you hear the sounds. I started. I was a musician before I started like dancing and acting. So I kind of hear sounds, and that's kind of how I dance better. Tippity tappity kind of. Yeah, the tippity tappities are very helpful. <laughs> yeah, and it's definitely you know, an experience. You had some questions. Mm-hmm. Um, we were thinking that we would uh, ask some questions of both Max and I so that we, you as viewers or listeners could get to know us a little bit more and uh, get to know our musical theater expertise or lack thereof in some cases. <laughs> yeah. Max, what was the first musical theater show that you saw that kind of really got you interested? I think, I think it's Grease. The high school we went to, when I was in grade five, my brother was in the pit band for the Grease at the high school I ended up going to. Mm-hmm. And I saw Grease, and I'm like, this is so much fun. And like, <laughs> it's just, we're all having a great time. I want to do that too. I want to be a part of something. And I'm, I can assure you, if the musical was like, I don't know, Annie or like the sound of music, I would not have the same feelings. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know if I'd, be, <laughs> if I'd be a theater major if I saw Annie for as my first show. Annika, <laughs> what about you? What was the first show you saw that's left an impact? Oh, the one that I can remember pretty clearly is seeing Les Mis for the first mm-hmm. time when I was, I think I just finished third grade. I was, I think I was doing like a jump rope camp at the time and I had to take one day off because we were going to go see Oh, I, re- I remember asking my mom, like, what's this about when we were there? Because I'd never heard of it before. And she's like, oh, this this guy, he's put in prison for stealing a loaf of bread. And then he he gets out and then things just happen from there. And it was just, I fell in love. And it was just a magical experience. And I remember at the end of the, the show, I think it was Canada Day, because they, they had everyone in the cast come out. 
and sang Oh Canada and like the girl who played Eponine, she had like one of those weird like jingle bell hats and like put it on her head as they were singing. And it was just, I don't know, it's just, it got me really interested. And so I got a CD and I would always pretend that I was Gavroche and mm. I, would put, I would tuck my hair into like the cap and then like sing it like, excuse me, Mr. Spectre, lovely evening, my dear. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, so that was that was it. I think it was like cool. eight at the time. This week, we've decided to start with Anastasia. Um, and Max, you have a, a little, uh, a little synopsis summary. Yeah, or some, summary. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So the summary of Anastasia. When her family is killed, Anastasia barely makes it alive. Later, with vague memories of her past, she travels to Paris with two cons who want to portray her as a real princess and get rewards. Based, it's based off the 1997 movie with uh, Meg Ryan and... A lot of big people in the movie. There was, I was shocked. I watched the movie a little bit a couple days ago, and I was like, "Wow, Bernadette Peters, Kelsey Grammer, like, like all these big people that are in this 1997 movie by Fox Studios." I think. Do you want to talk about the historical significance of Anastasia? Sure. So this is going to be a little bit long, but I'll try to cut it short or talk a bit faster. Mm -hmm. So I've (laughs) these. All of my notes are based off of class notes and a little bit of like research that I've done from the UVic databases. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I go to the University of Victoria, but I am back in the lower mainland and have been since March, since we absconded away <laughs> for quarantine. <laughs> Thank you to UVic for at least giving me some resources that I can use after I've paid so much money. And also I'm using their Zoom account. So <laughs> that's another <laughs> thing. Okay, so based off of class notes and of research that I've done, Setting the scene, the Romanov family has ruled Russia for over 300 years at this point. So we're starting in kind of World War One in the start of like 1914. Russia at this point was a very divided state with social tensions, poverty, and censorship. Russia was starting to move towards a more liberal democracy with a limited autocracy and new Duma government, though voting in the Duma government was not equal and more seats were given to upper-class representatives. Stepping out of this, you had the Bolsheviks, the Mensheviks, and the Russian or socialist revolutionaries. So Bolsheviks were more of the like radical Marxists, and then the Mensheviks were more moderate Marxists. So in World War One, the Russian army had a severe lack of weapons and resources at the beginning of the war, so they turned to a drastic rise in industrialization to pr- produce arms and ammunition. There were rising food prices, which made it hard on everyone who was already just scraping by. In August 1915, Tsar Nicholas II, Anastasia's father, assumes control of the army, but the war effort continues to go poorly and his popularity plummets as a further result. At the same time, the Russian government was in absolute chaos due to Nicholas's wife, Tsarina Alexandra, Anastasia's mom, making ill-advised decisions while he's away at war. Their declining popularity and the kind of like heightening issues and poverty that are happening in Russia caused the February Revolution, which actually took place in March. But um, (laughs) this was explained away because it's called the February Revolution because Russia followed the old Julian calendar at that time. Instead of what we would have said is March, they were in technically in February. There were rumors that food was going to run out in Petrograd, which is also known as St. Petersburg. I had to look that up because I was like, I've never heard of Petrograd before. And there were coal shortages and an increasing number of demonstrations and protests asking for Tsar Nicholas to abdicate. 
the Tsar ordered unquestioning repression, and on March 11th, some of his soldiers shot into a crowd of demonstrators and killed 40 individuals. Eventually, his soldiers started to fraternize with the demonstrators, and the Tsar's orders were no longer obeyed. The 12th of March, he abdicated in favor of his brother, the Grand Duke Michael, but his brother did not want the throne. He was like, I'm not having any part of this. The power was transferred to the old Duma, which is technically the provisional government headed by Alexander Kerensky. So technically, the war was just not going to plan. And the public made it clear that they wanted to end the Russian involvement in the war, and they wanted a redistribution of land. The government promised to do so, but failed. In a last-ditch effort, there was the Kerensky Offensive, named after Alexander Kerensky, of course, um, took place in July 1917, the purpose of which was to have one final offensive to push the Germans back out of Russian territory before Russia officially withdrew from the war. But this offensive failed miserably. One of our main people in the historiography of the Russian Revolution, Vladimir Lenin. In April 1917, he returns to Russia to lead the Bolsheviks after being exiled in Switzerland. It is kind of interesting that the Germans actually helped them get back into Russia because they wanted to cause more chaos in Russia so that they could win. Another interesting fact about Lenin is that his brother was actually executed in 1887 for being implicated in an assassination attempt against Tsar Alexander III. And this event is what was like said to have radicalized Lenin. And then he, he fled again in July 1917 because the provisional government crushed more demonstrators who had risen up against him. But he'll be back. After the Kerensky offensive failed, the provisional government loses all credibility. And then you have the October Revolution. I'm almost to the, uh, the Tsar and the family. I'm just in the scene. I realize this is kind of long. The October Revolution was actually in November, but it was called the <laughs> October Revolution again because of the old Julian can calendar. Lenin secretly returned to Russia on the 20th of October 1917, and it was almost an entirely bloodless taking of power by the Soviets, which is strange when you think about communist Russia. They removed the provisional government and their saying was peace, land, and bread, which made them very popular for a time. The Bolsheviks eventually removed all non-Bolsheviks from within the Soviet Union and they quickly arranged a temporary ceasefire with the Germans while negotiating for a permanent ceasefire began the 9th of December 1917. Did you guys read Animal Farm in high school? I didn't. Yeah, I was in a different class, and we read Not Animal Farm. <laughs> Not Animal Farm. Yeah. Kind of like the pigs in that one are based off of Lenin, Trotsky, and Stalin. I haven't read it for a while. I don't even know where my copy is. But I bring this up because in the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk in 1918, the negotiator for the Russians was Leon Trotsky, who was a former Menshevik, but now was best buds with Lenin. And he was kind of supposed to be the the guy who took over after Lenin died, but Stalin kind of took the job. Lenin wanted peace at any price to finish the war, and he was willing to accept harsh terms for peace. As a result, Russia lost Finland, Ukraine, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Poland, part of Belarus, and some territories down the Caucasus. They lost 55% of the country's factories and 89% of the empire's coal mines. It was a very unpopular move, if you can imagine that. As a result, fighting broke out between the Bolsheviks and the old officers' corps in May 1918. So that was basically 
the reds, which were the communists, versus the anti-communist whites. So you have red versus whites. Um, many other countries tried to help the whites in the civil war so that they may strangle communism, but they didn't really give them all that much help. This poisoned relationships between the Bolsheviks and the rest of the world because they kind of knew that everyone was kind of against them. But the whites never really came close to winning because they were very disorganized. So that's kind of our baselines. Where in July 1918, the Tsar's family was executed by the Reds. This is due to a lot of my notes that I took from the UVic databases. So after the abdication of Tsar Nicholas, he, his wife Tsarina Alexandra, and their five children were exiled to Yekaterinburg. Their five children were, from oldest to youngest, Olga, Tatiana, Maria, Anastasia, and Tsarevich Alexei. So Tsarevich is like uh, Russian for crown prince. They were basically held captive in Yekaterinburg along with four loyal members of their staff, Dr. Eugene Botkin, who is their family physician, Alexei Trupp, who was the valet to the Tsar, Anna Demidova, who was maid to the Tsarina, and Ivan Karitanov. Uh, he was the family cook. So in July 1918, the Reds had fears that the Tsar and their family, or in his family, would be rescued by the White Russian Army during their conflict. So the Soviets decided to kill them, which they thought would break the will of those who still were loyal to the Tsar. So in the early morning hours of July 17, 1918, July 17th, of course, being my birthday, the family led the were led to the cellar of the Ipatiev house and were executed by firing squad. Some of the events that happened down there were told by Yakov Yorovsky, who was a Bolshevik guard who oversaw the executions. He described how the bullets seemed to ricochet off some of them, but later they found that they were like jewels sewn into their clothes, which is why mm. this had occurred. They were kind of like, why are they still alive? But they realized that it kind of acted as like an armor for them. They tried to dispose of the dispose of the bodies in a mine shaft, but they were later buried in a mass grave in an open field. They had nine members in one grave and two of the children in another. After they were murdered, poor crops continued, civil war, and hoarding caused famine to rampage across Russia in the following years. Soviets immediately went to war with Poland in 1920, and it was viewed mostly as an excuse to rally Russian nationalism. And the Soviet government didn't really admit to the deaths of the Romanovs until a couple years later. That's kind of the big setup to it that they didn't really know, or the broad population didn't really know until a couple years later. And uh, that's all I got for that one. Cool. Two children that were in a separate grave, who were they? That's kind of up to debate because they found, based on the bones that were found, they could determine that there were female set of bones and then a male set of bones mm -hmm. and so they know that if that one of them is probably or definitely alexei but they couldn't be quite sure about the females so there was kind of a debate amongst russian and american forensic anthropologists talking about whether or not it was maria or if it was anastasia but that yeah. wouldn't be known until like 2007, 2009. It wasn't discovered until quite recently. So that's how the story started because they, couldn't, they didn't find the grave until like 80 years after the, no, like 90 years after the events happened. Well, they didn't even know about the, like the mass grave, uh, the one with like nine people in it until late 70s, but then they didn't release it to the public until the Soviet Union had fallen 
because they knew that there might be some in the Soviet sphere who did not want this mass grave to be found. But I can talk about, about that a little bit later. I'll jump in here. The grave, they didn't know if... Anastasia was there or if Maria was there they just they just knew that they couldn't find two bodies Mm -hmm. that's how the myth of Anastasia being alive became a thing so there were some radio plays and like other movies and like tv specials about the thing but the first major realization of this I guess is the 1997 movie um that we discussed a little bit earlier yeah it was directed Don Bluth and Gary Oldman Gary Goldman, sorry. Um, <laughs> Gary Goldman. I was like, wow, Gary Oldman, he's done a lot yeah. of things. Yeah. Yeah. So it was written by Lynn Ahrens and Stephen Flaherty. They wrote the music for it. The screenplay was by Susan Gautier, Bruce Graham, Bob Zutiger, and Noni White. In 2012, or I'm sure before, they discussed on making a stage play. The lyricist and the um, music writer, they both were Broadway people. They wrote a bunch of musicals up, leading up to this. When it came around to writing the stage play, they tapped Terrence McDally, who has written operas and plays musicals, to write the book for it. They'd already written Ragtime before this, and A Man of No Importance, and then they wrote an stage together. The first reading was in 2012, and it had, I think, Aaron Tveit was in it. He friend. was Dimitri, wasn't he? Yeah, he was Dimitri. Kelly Barrett, Patrick Page, Angela Lansbury was the Dowager Empress. And then they had the first stage production in Hartford, Connecticut, which was the out-of-town tryout. And they premiered on Broadway in 2017. A little bit on the writers. Aaron's and Flaherty have written 14 musicals together, including Once on this Island, Ragtime, and Seussical. They have, I think they've only written together. Uh, they may have done some side projects on their own. And then Terrence McNally, who actually just recently passed away. Well, recently. He passed away in March of COVID. Oh. Um, I know. Yeah, he was like the, he was like the first major, at least the first major to like me and like the Broadway community that passed away of COVID. He's won five Tonys and three Drama Desks and a Primetime Emmy. And kind of, I know you've done a little research on this. How many copycats were there? Or how many people tried to pretend they were Anastasia? Since the official discovery of the grave wasn't until 1991, I think that the rumors kind of stemmed just from like a what if kind of thing. Like what if someone survived? So they didn't know who was missing from that massive grave yet. So since 1918, it is said that over 200 people have claimed to be one of the five Romanov <laughs> children. So that's that's a lot. And you could just imagine how like frustrating that would be to be like, okay, who who's telling the truth and who's just... But now yeah. now that we know everyone yeah. was not telling the truth. Yeah. Um, so the most famous pretender, um, at least for, for Anastasia Romanov, because you actually had famous pretenders for Maria, Anastasia, as well as Alexei. So I don't know why they didn't think that the other other yeah, children other yeah. children couldn't have. Well, I think they were gro- pretty grown up by that time. Yeah, they were older, right? Uh, Anastasia yeah. and Maria and Alexei were the three youngest, I believe. Yeah, Anastasia was like 16, 17, maybe at the time. Mm-hmm. Alexei was like 12, 13. The most famous for... Anastasia for being a pretender was Anna Anderson. She was actually a Polish peasant who claimed that she was Anastasia, but that was debunked by the discovery of the first grave because she didn't match DNA profiles. Other famous pretenders for Maria Romanov, you had Granny Alina. And then for Anastasia Romanov, you have Anna Anderson, of course, Magdalene Verez, and Eugenia Smith. 
for Alexei Romanov, you have Alexei Puziato, Joseph Verez, who is actually the brother of Magdalene Verez, so at least they were kind of like, oh, it's a brother and sister thing, Haino Temet, and Vasily Filatov. Anna Anderson, she actually ended up living in Charlottesville, Virginia. It was said in like February 17th, 1919, that a young woman was saved from a suicide attempt at the Berlin Canal, and she mm -hmm. said that she was Anastasia. So since then, they've been studying pictures of Anastasia and Anna's ears, which that's kind of strange, yeah. but <laughs> apparently ears have long been recognized as a reliable key to identity, for they change little during a lifetime. That's what it said in a Washington Post article from like 1990. Or 1977. I had, I never knew known that that ears were like a reliable key. It's huh. just really strange. And so like like she's around the same age as Anastasia would have been. She was 75 in 1977. But it said that she herself even got tired of people questioning her about it. But like she went through a bunch of different like court dates and court trials of like trying to determine whether or not she was in fact Anastasia but there was like one court date that was like in Berlin January 29th 1957 where a German court declared that Anna Anderson was not the youngest daughter of the last Russian Tsar and well their their decision was based on like a witness who said that he saw the 11 corpses of the Tsar's family and uh, and uh, his servants as well and then it also included one like an anthropological and genetic expert who said that mrs anderson could not be the russian duchess that was kind of just based off like witness reports and expert reports but of course in 1991 when the the graves were uh discovered or the big mass grave was discovered it was definitive that it was not her yeah so the characters in the show there's Anya, young amnesiac woman, who has vague memories that could suggest mm -hmm. she is a Grand Duchess Anastasia. Allegedly. Di Allegedly, yeah. <laughs> um, Dimitri, con man, who's grown up in St. Petersburg his whole life. Um, very daring and adventurous. Mm -hmm. uh, Vlad uh, is a former count from the Romanov Empire who was, who was resorted to being a con man with Dimitri. His love, Lily, is in Paris. Mm -hmm. um, Gleb, a Soviet officer who's... Uh, father participated in the killing of Aronofs, so he's a Bolshevik, like we discussed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Dowager Empress, uh, she's a matriarch of the uh, Romanov Empire, only surviving member of the Romanov family. And Lily is leading and waiting to the Dowager Empress, who is in love with Vlad. Which of these characters are based off real people? I think we discussed this a while ago that there is nothing in this, or basically nothing in this musical that is true. I texted Annika um, like after I listened to the play, and I was like, the most realistic thing about Anastasia is that at the end, they all say there was no Anastasia. Yeah. <laughs> they they yeah. finally agreed that this rumor should be put to bed, finally. Yeah. Because even, like, the director of the Anastasia movie was saying that, like, yeah, it's not history. It's not really based on anything accurate. Like even historians were like, it's historically inaccurate. And like, yeah. But um, Mr. Goldman, the director of the film, was like, it's a fairy tale based on what if. Like the the true power of the Anastasia myth has always been wishful thinking, the <laughs> deep desire to undo the unspeakably bloody history of the Russian Revolution, which you know I get. Yeah, I was actually just going to mention um, the biggest like. The movie um, and the play are pretty similar. 
the biggest difference is they changed the villain from this wizard evil person that puts a curse on the Romanovs that starts the <laughs> Russian revolution and kills the Romanovs. That's Isn't that supposed to be Rasputin. Yeah, Rasputin. Yeah, and like he has this like. Honestly, I will say his song is a bop. Like, In the Dark of the Night. (laughs) So they replaced um, Rasputin with Gleb and made the story a little bit more, a little bit more grounded, but also not. I'm glad they did replace him with Gleb. You get Ramin Karimlu. (laughs) We do get Ramin Karimlu. We're very happy for that. (laughs) Yeah, we should have, like, a a whole other, like, (laughs) a whole other, like, show based. We can get into Ramin Karimlu on the podcast, but if you want to listen to us talk about Ramin Karimlu, let us know in the email. (laughs) Which version did you watch? Um, I watched both. I watched um, the stage version on YouTube. I watched a bootleg. It's fine. (laughs) Um, And then after that, I watched the... Uh, movie after after the fact. Okay, so you yeah. watched like the Broadway. I watched the Broadway, production? yeah, because I actually the bootleg I first started watching. Well, it's interesting you ask that because the bootleg I started watching, I think it was either a preview or it was a Hartford. It was a Hartford production because it had different lyrics in Rumor in St. Petersburg. I found the score online. I was like watching. I was looking at the score, like the musical score, while I was watching the movie or watching mm-hmm. the play like oh wait this is different so i found a different bootleg because when i had like just watched it just kind of for kicks before we had gotten like the idea of a podcast Mm -hmm. i had like watched it and i was like oh yeah this is pretty good like camera quality Mm -hmm. and then i tried to go back to it when i knew that we were doing this and i wanted to show my family i made them watch it with me yeah so i tried to show them the one that i had previously watched but it wasn't there anymore so i had to Mm -hmm. find the new version of, of some good Samaritan who put it online for those of us who can't afford Broadway tickets. It was it, 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 it was okay quality, like the sound was good, but the visuals were not. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, this guy's very good. Like, look at this guy, he's really good looking. And then people were like, it's just yeah. a bunch of pixels. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I watched the version with, uh, well, I'm always looking for Ramin Karamlu, so I know there's a guy who replaces him, but I'm just not there for that. With uh, Christy Altamar, Derek Klenna, who you and Sydney have a crush on. I think most people do. He's like, he's Broadway's boyfriend. <laughs> I thought that like Jeremy Jordan or like someone else. <laughs> we, like, we have a lot of boyfriends. <laughs> we have a lot of boyfriends on Broadway. We have a lot of boyfriends. We're just yeah. full polygamists. So I guess this could be a transition into the talk about the cast. So Christy mm-hmm. Altamar was Anya. Amazing. On Bolton. Yeah, she was so good. I forget what song it was, but she just, oh, I, I'm, I'm going to find it because it was absolutely amazing. Journey to the Past, I wrote down, Christy Altamar is crazy good. And then John Bolton played Vlad. He's funny, I guess. He <laughs> <laughs> is. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what else to say about that. He's just funny. He's a good singer too. Yeah. Um, yeah. don't want to discount him. Uh, Derek Klenna, like we discussed, he's Dimitri. Mm-hmm. Um, he was really good. He's really... He's doing his job. He's being there to be the leading man attractive. So good for him. Ramin Krimlu played Gleb. Annika, do you want to talk about Ramin Krimlu a little bit? Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know me, but we're married. Even though he's already married and has a bunch of kids. Ramin Krimlu, he is an Iranian-Canadian actor. And I had first... I didn't know it, but I had watched him in the 25th anniversary of Les Mis, where mm-hmm. it's kind of like the concert version. And so I was, I had rewatched, or at the beginning of uh, quarantine, they had like the show must go on things on YouTube. 
So they had uh, like full productions that were like perfectly shot and had great sound quality and they had like posted them on YouTube for like 48 hours or something like that. So mm -hmm. I was like, or it came up on my like for you page where it was like, oh, it's the Phantom of the Opera. And then I was like, okay, I've never seen Phantom of the Opera, but I would be all willing for a free musical to watch. And I was like looking up all the characters and I was like, oh, Sierra Bogus, she's cool. Um, Hadley Fraser, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I fell in love with him too. And then Ramin Karamu and I looked him up and I was like, I know this guy from somewhere. And I and then I was like, oh, he was in the 25th anniversary, and he's the only guy who really like stuck in my head, because he just like has that look. And then I was like, I can't believe I've seen him in all these different things, but I never really put two and two together. So that was the beginning of my descent into <laughs> watching me. everything I could find. Yeah. And then next we have Caroline O'Connor as Lily. Then we have Mary Beth Peel as the Dowager Empress. Some notable replacements. Uh, Max von Essen replaced Ramin as Gleb. Yeah, he played Marvin in the Falsettus tour that happened after the 2017 production. And then Judy Kay played the Dowager Empress. She was a past Broadway legend. I mean, she, I'm sure she still is, but she was like a Broadway person before. She was an ingenue in her time that she played the Dowager Empress. Then Cody Simpson, Australian pop star Cody Simpson, <laughs> replaced Zach Adkins as Dimitri. I found that very weird, but whatever. The producers wanted him. I'm, I'm sure he was good. wild. Yeah, I, I did not expect Cody Simpson to be in Anastasia, but good for him. You know what? He's still working. It's kind of weird to have like pop stars go into musical theater for a it's, while. It's honestly, it's mostly just... I mean, I'm sure he wanted it. He wanted to do it too. Um, but it's called like stunt casting or like star casting. Like, it's trying to get butts in seats while the show isn't doing too great. Because uh, yeah. he was in the closing cast. I think he was in. Yeah, so he was in Anastasia from November 2018 through April 2019. Two Tony nominations, no wins. Uh, featured actress Mary Beth Peel, the Damager Empress, and then costume design by Linda Cho. Well, yeah, yeah the costumes are amazing. They're so pretty. I like um, how um, when they first started, I watched some of the behind the scenes stuff, and when they first started uh, Anastasia on stage, <laughs> where they had a lot of like pushback because of the color of her dress when she goes to the ballet. <laughs> It was it was originally pink, and then everyone was kind of like, "Oh man, but you should have had the blue dress that she wore in the animated film." And I was like, "Oh okay." And so they got so much pushback that they had her like redo the dress, and then you get that beautiful blue dress that she wears in yeah. the version that I, at least I watched. And like they look different enough. Like the like the I watched the um I mean the movie after I watched the show, and mm -hmm. it was. It's a little bit. It's a little bit lighter blue. Like it has some character to it of itself. Yeah. Yeah. Also, it was kind um, of limited animation in that film. Yeah. <laughs> a little um, bit janky. Yeah. Some stuff about the cast: Christy Altamar and Derek Klenner actually started up together. They started in in Carrie as romantic interests, like Carrie, the Stephen King novel, like the off-Broadway production of that. Ah, the one um, where you have to like be careful because you might get sprayed with blood. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was 2012 when they were, and that was kind of like what kickstarted both careers. Was, um, was Carrie that far back? Yeah, it was like eight years ago now. And wow. it's crazy that they've only been doing this for that long. What's your favorite song, Annika? Mm, I have too many. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I really like the Neva Flows 
um, will go from there because there's that that one part where they're all kind of like harmonized and it's like mm -hmm. there <laughs> and then of course still mm -hmm. um, there's some moments where you expect like him to do different notes or different parts of the melody but then it just goes down instead of like at the very last still yeah yeah um it just ooh. uh land of yesterday of course because that's very upbeat and mm -hmm. then the countess and the common mom yeah <laughs> <laughs> i think my favorite songs i realized learn to do it i find it really cool that there is kind of like a patter song like they kind of go through everything really fast i like crossing a bridge um i find that song really pretty um it's cool that she's just conflicted mm -hmm. about what's if she wants to go like if she crosses a bridge, she becomes Anastasia. If she if she if she stands on this side, she's still Anya. Oh. Um, and it's actually the bridge from the prologue. Like in the beginning of the show, there's a prologue before the show start. But the Dowager Empress is saying bye to little uh, young Anastasia, saying like, "We'll go to Paris." There's a bridge named after your great grandfather, I believe, and that's the bridge that she sings "Crossing a Bridge" on. What a coincidence! <laughs> it all comes back. Yeah. The thing about Anastasia is, if she is the princess, then her whole family is dead except for her grandma. Yeah. I personally wouldn't want to be her because then I wouldn't have a family. But then you find a, you find a family with your boyfriend and her his friend Vlad. Well, she probably still had like extended family. Yeah, I guess so. I guess she still has extended family. Because I think her dad's cousin made it. I'm just thinking about where they got um, DNA because mm. they found it through someone's cousin. Did you have a least favorite? I don't know. It's I mean, it's a good show. It's, I wouldn't say it's my favorite show, but like, I mean, close the door. She's just kind of she's just really sad. <laughs> and I get it. Like, her whole family is dead. And like, every yeah. time a new Anastasia comes in, she gets more depressed. And I totally get it. We were going to make a note to talk about Gleb. Yeah, because, Gleb. Um, I mean, we love Ramin Krumlu, but we don't really stand Gleb that much. Gleb is a little bit problematic, and he's got major daddy issues. Yeah, he, <laughs> he's just very creepy. Every time he calls Anastasia a little girl, I'm like, Gleb, don't do that. It makes really? me uncomfortable. I never, I never heard him call her like, a little so, girl. Like, so he sings, like, underhanded girl. I don't know. He said "girl" a couple times. I just got uncomfy, but maybe which is weird me. because she's she's like at least twenty six. Yeah, she, if if this is the real Anastasia, with um, yeah, she's twenty six. Yeah, she's twenty six. Yeah. So, and Glove can't be that much older. Yeah, <laughs> but, but like you, you want to be like kind of creeped out that it's like he's the villain, basically, but. Ramin plays his character with a bit of humor and charm that he mm -hmm. kind of is a bit likable, which makes you very conflicted because like at first when he's like he first runs into Anastasia or Anya and then he's like she's like, Oh, I gotta go, and then she leaves, and then he's like, I'm here every day. Yeah. <laughs> and then like kind of has like weird little mannerisms or whatever throughout the play. But then when he gets really serious, it makes it all the more scary. Mm -hmm. so like when he's talking to the three actresses that were trying to uh like the give... just need to be anesthesia yeah. yeah um when he starts to lose his temper a little bit with them and he gets really scary mm -hmm. and i was just like oh jesus 
but then he like kind of plays it off with a bit of comedy where he just kind of like goes like whoo and then just like tells him like get lost yeah. but you can see how the, the way that Ramin uses his like hand gestures and like how it kind of adds to a scene like lifting Anya's chin he does the exact same thing in Phantom of the Opera where he uses oh. his hands very expressively and it I just really like the way that he does it because it just adds so much more to it the speaking of scary the bolshevik imagery freaks me the hell out in the prologue they have so they have a scene with the grandma and uh anesthesia and then they have a, the last dance of the romanovs and it's a beautiful like ballet dance sequence where they're all doing their own it's yeah. like ballet but it's not like serious it's like they're all just having a fun party and then they get murdered <laughs> spoiler alert <laughs> Yeah, it's just so scary. And then, like later on in the second act, when they're when uh, Gleb is about to kill Anastasia, they they have like the in the background mm-hmm. the Ronoffs like parallel imagery with them getting like having the gun pointed at them yeah. in nineteen seven. I think in the show they make it nineteen seventeen. They kind of take liberty with when they died. Yeah, because they were basically like held captive in the in Yekaterinburg um, for a couple months before they were murdered. Yeah, and the show makes it seem like they were just having a party one day and they were killed. When we get to, yeah, like basically the only thing I really know about Imperial Russia is what I learned from watching The Great with uh, Elle Fanning and and Nicholas Holt. Mm -hmm. Have you seen that show yet? No, I haven't. It is like absurd. Is it a TV show or a movie? A TV show. I think there's like oh goodness how many episodes maybe close to eight or or something like that but it's just like she's the only like sane one there and then everyone else is doing really ridiculous things and then she's trying to like make sure that the star emperor whatever his title is like that he doesn't just go on a rampage and kill everyone just on a whim Mm -hmm. like he throws a dog out a window to like demonstrate gravity Thank goodness the the dog had a parachute on, but it could have gone very wrong. Yeah. And um, from what I know about the Romanovs here is that they were not, like, as much as we rely on Anya's love for her family and stuff, I don't know if they were that great of people. They were killed. We don't know if they should have been killed or if they deserve to be killed, but then after the imperialism is the communism, and that's not great yeah. either. <laughs> like, I'm not the history person, so do you want to comment on which on you communism? prefer? Do you want to comment on if you prefer imperialism or communism? <laughs> that's not a very fair question. Yeah. But, um, you, you know, like, there is quite a nostalgia for, well, especially in this musical, there's an a big nostalgia factor for the imperialist Russia. Um, and if you know me as a person, I really do not like communism and I don't think that anyone benefits from communism except for people with a lot of power. Mm-hmm. It's like an animal farm. Everyone is equal, but some people are more equal than others. Like it's based off of Marxism and Marxism is just an ideal that I don't think we can possibly attain because humans are too selfish and mm-hmm. have a lot of greed so no one like everyone can't enforce everyone being equal without someone being like 
but I'm a bit more equal than you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so especially like seeing the the difference between like imperialist Russia and communist Russia, you would kind of lean towards imperialist Russia because you see how bad it is afterwards. Um, not that I'm condoning anything that the Tsars did. Yeah, they shouldn't have been killed, but they also could have been taken out of power. And I yeah, mean, they could have been nicer. They could have, yeah. And we're not saying that this, the Romanovs were great people, but I mean, their entire family didn't have to die. But yeah, it just but, it's, it rubs me the wrong way when it's children. Yeah, exactly. Like the kids, like they didn't, they aren't responsible for, for their parents did. I actually wrote in my notes when, we're, when I was listening to the land of yesterday. I was just like. I miss my power. I'm sad now. And I'm like, I know that's a really bad way of saying it, but like, it's just basically how it went away from the song. Yeah. I, I focus more on kind of like the traditional dancing. Yeah. I really like... That's, like, that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah. I really like traditional Russian dancing and it's quite similar to that of Ukrainian dancing, which I've noticed uh, with my uh, inclusion in the Victoria Ukrainian community. Yeah. But, People just, like, their dancing is just insane. Like, my legs would probably, like, break if I tried mm. to do any of that. Like, yeah. I have no, no leg muscles right now. <laughs> I've done nothing but lie around during quarantine. Near the end, Gleb finally starts to think for himself. Because throughout the play, he's kind of been spouting off some communist propaganda. It's just kind of like, you know what, I'm just going to do what's best for this girl that he loves, apparently that he's only had a handful of interactions with. Yeah, he he gets feelings for Anastasia and like she's pretty, but also like you would hate like if <laughs> if you think that she is her and you are this like indoctrinated communist like soldier, like you're mm-hmm. get over your feelings. You have to kill her. I mean you don't have to, but, like <laughs> we don't, don't want him to. <laughs> we don't don't kill it don't kill Anastasia and he doesn't, thankfully. I think he actually says like the Rome Miles were terrible people or something along those lines. And I kind of wrote my notes like, yeah, Gleb, they, Gleb wasn't wrong. <laughs> yeah, also, they had he, everything and they gave nothing. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. And I was like, he's not wrong, but also he shouldn't, he's not right. <laughs> Don't be going around killing people. Yeah. Yeah. But he also um, like says like, long life comrade. But the music that's playing when he leaves is still not happy. So it had me thinking like, what is he sacrificing if he doesn't carry out this order? But then he's back in Russia in the like epilogue, and he seems fine. So yeah, I guess he's just gonna continue on. And like he he does announce that like it was that she was a like she was a fake. Like there was no Anastasia. She was killed. So I guess that would make that would. I mean, I guess that'll probably be fine for him. Yeah, the final message of the the musical is kind of strange. Like the rumor of Anastasia should be put to rest, but. It was a kind of contrasting message where here's a whole musical about how the rumor could possibly be true. But the final takeaway is that we should just leave it alone. Yeah. What did they get right, if anything? Ooh. Like, I don't know. Like, they got maybe the first. No, they didn't even get the first part right because they like were like, oh, they died in 1917, which wasn't the case. The grandmother shouldn't be alive at that point. In 27? I, I don't think so. Let me just double check. Oh, crap. What is her name? Like, Dowager. 
Yeah, Dowager Empress Maria Feodorovna. That's what we were chatting about a couple days ago. Because I think we'd mentioned that she didn't. No, never mind. Um, she she did she did live to 1928. Okay, so she so died the year after the show. The takes year place. after. Yeah. Yeah. So even if Anastasia had stayed, that would have been pretty sad. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, oh, I just found you, and now you're dead. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't much that was right. Well, because like, it's all, of course, it's all based off of what if. Yeah. Like, is the time period-ish accurate? I don't know. I'm just trying to grasp my stars here. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I didn't really look that much into 1927 in Paris mm-hmm. or anything like that. But yeah. it, was, it was more kind of like what happened before and what led up to it and what happened afterwards in regards to the discovery of the bodies. Was there a little dog in the animated movie? There is. It's like Puka. Lita, I don't Puka, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> in, in one of my articles it was mentioning that the Anastasia movie was a bit kind of like a slap to the face. A bit well, first of all, this this article was really like rough in the fact that it was like oh, it was like I don't know even know how to describe it describe it. It was just rough when it was talking about Anastasia like one of the quotes was like poor Anastasia murdered by the Bolsheviks with the rest of the Romanov family in 1918 impersonated by a bevy of pretenders in the years to follow exploited by Hollywood as a 1956 star vehicle for Ingrid Bergman and later for Amy Irving in the miniseries that seemed to drag on almost as long as the communist regime this guy was holding nothing back and he was talking (laughs) he was talking about the dog in it because like puka is his name but the word puk is a mild russian vulgarity so it was kind of like who who snuck that into a disney film yeah like is it a disney film like it's on it's disney, disney plus disney. but so the thing is so it's by 20th century fox because this movie came out in 1997 which is like the height of the disney renaissance like little mermaid and the beast like yeah. aladdin all these big disney musicals and 20th century fox is like oh wait we need to make a movie too. So they made, they were like, oh, remember that that Romanoff family murder? Let's talk about that and make that a musical. And they did. And you know what? It worked. It worked out pretty well. Like everything aside with how raw it was, it was a pretty good. It's a pretty good movie. Like if you just don't look into it too much, it's a good movie. Yeah, because you had some people who were saying like, just as long as you talk to your kids after they watch the film and explain that this is fake, I don't know if many parents would want to do that, but like the director and some of the people who produced the movie were like yeah if it gets kids interested in like russian history then fine Mm -hmm. but just know that the russian history displayed in the film is not right yeah and it's yeah it's a complete hypothetical yeah so it'd be easier just to say that it's complete fiction yeah so i can just talk about the the, uh, productions a little bit there's so there's a Broadway, the Broadway production that started in, started previews in March 23rd, 2017, and it opened officially on April 24th, and then it closed on March 31st, 2019, after 808 regular and 34 preview performances. Um, Christy Altamar and um, uh, John Bolton stayed the whole time. 
Yeah, I think they're the only two that stayed the whole time. Like 200 and whatever or shows. Eight, uh, 800, perform- 800 performances. Oh. Yeah, I know. I think they have like understudies and stuff, and like I'm sure they took vacations, but like, yeah, yeah that's, that's a lot. But like, we got tired after doing like six. Yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> in our high um, school. There is a North American tour going on right now. Um, not right now, but um, <laughs> there was one that's suspended right now. Um, it actually came to uh, Toronto when I was going to school, um, and I could have seen it, but I just, it wasn't my, it's not the show I would want to see, so. Mm-hmm. And like tickets are expensive, so I was like, bye. Yeah. <laughs> there's a Madrid performance right now. Um, there's a Stuttgart performance uh, from November 15th, 2018 to October 13th, 2018. I'm sorry, I love to say Stuttgart. Stuttgart. <laughs> um, there was a Dutch, Dutch production at the Hague. Hague. Um, Hague. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I'm Dutch, I would know. And there's a Japanese production going on. Um, they were going to open, but they didn't because of the current society. Current society? No, because of the societal issues. Yeah, I mean, which one? <laughs> yeah, it's been received okay. Like, there's no glowing reviews for it, but people are just kind of saying, like, it was good for what you're expecting. Well, I still <laughs> liked it, even though I hadn't seen the film. Yeah, for sure. Like, I liked it too because I, I hadn't seen the film. Well, not because, so like, I, I, liked, it, I liked it and I didn't see the film. So I'm not sure if that means anything, but. Well, like if Ramin Karimlu hadn't been Gleb, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I still liked it for what it was. I'm glad that Ramin drew me in and had me watch it. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know if I would have found it otherwise. I would like to talk about DNA evidence. Okay. Because this is the part that really blew my mind when I was doing my my research yeah was there's this particular article and it was like a really scientific article it had so many different like authors in that so i guess you have to have that many authors in a scientific article or paper or whatever they call it mm-hmm. um so it was mystery solved the identification of the two missing romanov children's use, using dna analysis and i was like oh okay and so the official discovery of the large Ma- or the mass grave was in 1991 so that's the official discovery it was actually discovered in the late 1970s by a geologist dr alexander avdenin who located the mass grave which had five family members and four servants he kept the location secret until the fall of the soviet union in 1991 because he was afraid that someone would or that the government might just be like mm, no, we're just going to hide it. In the mass grave, there was DNA that confirmed the identity of the Tsar, Tsarina, and three of their daughters. But then again, they didn't know whether the third daughter was Maria or Anastasia. In summer 2007 was the discovery of the second grave, which was approximately 70 meters away from the first grave. <laughs> yeah. I don't think so, I'll find it that long. <laughs> you had so many people looking for the second grave or the possibility that maybe they weren't even there. Um, and it was only 70 meters away. They basically said that we have, so this is like a direct quote, we have virtually irrefutable evidence that the two individuals recovered from the 2007 grave are the two missing children of the Romanov family, the Sarovich Alexei, and one of his sisters. They still don't know exactly who, who this other sister is. So in the mass grave, they had DNA testing conducted, which, cons- which confirmed the sex of the skeletons, 
and establish familial connections between some of the skeletons. So that's how they could tell apart that some of them weren't related. So they were the uh, servants. This part really was insane to me was that they used maternal, like a maternal relationship between Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh, who is the queen's husband, who is of German descent, yeah. and the Sarina and her three daughters. So they had combined German relations, which I thought was just insane. And then they used a maternal relationship from Duke Fife and Princess Zinia Cheremetev Sfiri. I have no idea where they're from, uh, to determine identity of the Tsar. Um, later, they compared the DNA of Tsar Nicholas to his brother, Duke Georgi Romanov, who died in 1899, to confirm the shared familial DNA. So after the discovery of the mass grave in 1991, there were questions about where Sarovich Alexei and one of his sisters was. So Russian forensic anthropologists thought that Maria was missing and American foreign forensic anthropologists thought that Anastasia was missing. Um, did they escape or were they buried somewhere else? So in summer 2007, bone fragments were found approximately 70 meters away from the first grave by amateur archaeologists. Whether or not it was found accidentally or on purpose, I do not know. So there were um, 44 bone fragments and teeth recovered and they determined that there was at least two bodies found, one of female sex age of approximately 15 to 19 years, and one of male sex age of approximately 12 to 15 years. DNA analysis confirmed that they were the children of the Tsar and Tsarina, and so basically that solved the mystery of the missing mm -hmm. Romanov children. For Tsar Nicholas II and Tsarovich Alexei, they compared skeletal remains from distant cousin Prince Andrew Andrievich Romanov of San Francisco, California. He's a little <laughs> bit of a far away from home. Yeah. And they were both descendants of Tsar Nicholas I. So that was what I was talking about, familial. Like she, Anastasia kind of had distant, well, her, her dad's distant cousin mm. was living in San Francisco, um, I guess. And then uh, they end off or I think it was halfway through because this article is full of a lot of different like talking about different aspects of DNA, which mm -hmm. goes completely over my head. And then they, this is a direct quotation where they say, here we are able to conclude that none of the family survived the execution in the early morning hours of July 17th, 1918. So that definitively says that all those pretenders of Anastasia and Maria and Alexei were wrong mm -hmm. and were in fact pretenders. And the whole Anastasia myth can be put to rest, finally. I feel like we're being buzzkills by doing this. Like, I feel like we're like, oh, it's this can't true, possibly happen. <laughs> and I know it's true, and it's good to, like, yeah. bring like, the true information, but, like, just for the sake of the musical, Anastasia's still alive, and she's Christy Altamar, and we love her. <laughs> I feel you mean. feel bad. I feel bad now. I feel like there's, I feel like we're just being, like, so, like, pessimistic, like, oh, she's dead. Like, there's no... Sure for Anastasia, but like that's just how it is. You're obviously not a history major. Yeah. <laughs> we deal with the terrible stuff yeah. every day. Yeah. <laughs> like I get so depressed when I'm doing a, a paper on like the Holocaust or some other terrible mm -hmm. event in history. And I'm like, I'm just doing this to myself. Like I could have been an engineer. <laughs> Actually I couldn't. I can't do math very well. Yeah. But yeah, this whole like as much as we want to think that someone escaped that terrible night 
it's not true. Yeah. And it's sad, but it's just kind of how, it's just, I mean, life sucks. We all, we all know life sucks. We're but, all very aware. Yeah. Closing ideas, thoughts, comments. As much as like the musical is just based off of what if, I still quite enjoyed it. I watched it twice within a small amount of time. So I think I'll be taking a break. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Russian culture is beautiful. Yeah. Like, like I want to talk about like you, like you, Annika, as a person, like you very like based on reality. Like, so I feel like this is like a hard show for you because like you have to like, understand the true, like really sad reality of like the, the, Romanoff murders. Yeah, like and um, they were so lucky to even yeah. be able to get out. Of, yeah. Um, well, like Vlad and Dmitri and and Anya were so lucky to get out of Russia and yeah. be able to make it to Paris. I enjoy the show. It's it's definitely a romp, um, but I wouldn't say it's my favorite. <laughs> That's not a show I listen to that consistently. Like there are some good songs and there's a good there's like funny characters, but like I wouldn't say it's my absolute favorite. Just for now, what musical theater song do you have on repeat? Oh, that's a good question. Right now, I'm listening to, I mean, Anastasia, but listening to a lot of Glee, um, <laughs> which has a lot of everything. I actually just, I actually just watched the finale today and cried a lot. Oh, <laughs> but it's okay. Never made it to the finale. I yeah. lost interest. No, I get it. It's it's a fun show, but it definitely falls off after a little bit. But I am in quarantine and. I have nothing better to do than watch Lee. So, but I'd say probably listening to Cabaret. I listen to, I listen to Cabaret pretty mm-hmm. consistently. That a was of, one of my favorite field trips. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. I was going to go see Cabaret. It's so good. I didn't, that was actually the, that was the first time I saw Cabaret and I've seen it twice since then. Uh, no, I saw, I saw it twice at Sheridan. Um, and it's just so, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> but we have a, that's, that's, I'm so sad we get to do that, get to do that eventually on this it's like, show. suddenly there's Nazis I know it's like real life suddenly there's Nazis again yeah I know oh, oh. God. what musical song do you have on repeat right now I had made myself a playlist on Spotify and honestly I've just been listening to the entire 25th anniversary edition at Royal Prince Albert Hall or whatever it's mm-hmm. called of phantom of the opera (laughs) yeah (laughs) like i'm just waiting for christmas that hopefully i get the um the movie version because Mm -hmm. i just want to see it in all of its glory all the way through i only got like halfway through when it was on youtube but yeah i just love listening to it but like it's hard to try to listen to it when i'm making dinner because halfway through every song it's like oh my god the the phantom ghost is suddenly here and then everyone's screaming (laughs) yeah (laughs) what if someone's outside my house and they're like oh my god someone's getting murdered in there but they're singing at the same time but yeah and I can just tell that I'm annoying my family when I play it Mm -hmm. so I've resigned to playing it only when I'm in my room by myself with headphones in and I'm just playing sims or something yeah yeah but yeah it's just it's just good music and I can't believe I never appreciated it until like April of this year. I haven't listened to Phantom yet. I've listened to a couple songs and I'm sure I will eventually. Um, but it's not, I'm not a huge classical music, per, classical music person in general. Yeah, I'm not a big opera person, but this is the only thing that I'll allow. Yeah. I wanted to text you yesterday because I had listened to 
Till I Hear You Sing from Love Never Dies, which is like mm-hmm. the sequel. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to bother even watching the sequel to Phantom of the Opera because I'm like, it should have ended. But that one song is just amazing. And of course, it's Ramin Karamloo playing. <laughs> I mean, of Phantom. course. <laughs> You're going to be hearing a lot from me about him. Yeah. Thank you all for joining us in our first ever podcast episode. You can follow or contact us at History in the Spotlight on Instagram or through our email of historyinthespotlight at gmail.com. Especially if you'd like to share your music theater experiences or have recommendations for historical musicals that you would like to, like to hear us cover. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.